Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Please be seated. So over the years, I have preached on this sermon, I mean, on this gospel, many times. Some of them were pretty good. The worst one was the year I decided to make Thomas a used camel salesman and went from there to give every whole of the disciples their parts. I will not do that to you today. But what's interesting to me is that each time that I've preached on it, I've learned something new. I've found, discovered something different than what I saw or preached on before. So for me today, the gospel is about believing. Now, last week, we heard about the women who went to the tomb. And in John's gospel, it's mostly Mary Magdalene. And she comes running back to the disciples and she said, we have seen the Lord, he is risen, he's risen indeed. And they don't believe her. We find them meeting in fear, behind closed doors. And it was only after the risen Lord came to them and they could see him that they came to believe. And then remarkable things happened. Now Thomas was not there. So he did not believe. He was very specific about what it would take for him to believe. Nail marks the pierced side, he wanted a very hands-on experience of the risen Christ. And when when Jesus appeared to him, what Jesus said to him was, not doubt, but do not disbelieve, but believe. Do whatever it is you need to know that it is I and that I am risen and that you can believe in all that I have taught and told you. And he did. And remarkable things happened. So what did happen? Well, first Jesus gave them his peace. And everything we read from that point on suggests that the disciples no longer lived in fear And even though they would be persecuted and many of them would be killed, they did not stay in hiding, but rather preached and taught about Jesus and what God had done through him. Second, Jesus breathed on them. And that's John's equivalent of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, which is especially presented otherwise in Luke's Gospel. Jesus breathing on them is meant to remind us of the way God breathed and brought life to the first human being. The way Ezekiel was told to breathe on this field of foreign soldiers and bring them to life. It was the beginning of a new life for the followers of Jesus. Life lived in order for them to carry on Jesus' work. And the third thing that he gave them was the Holy Spirit. As God sent Jesus, so Jesus sent the disciples 
And the Holy Spirit is what made it possible for them to carry out that mission. The Holy Spirit is what makes the formerly fearful into the community of faith. The Holy Spirit is what teaches them what it means to be followers of Jesus and what the tasks are to which they are called. And this Holy Spirit is what gives them the will, the power, and the ability to do what they are commissioned to do. So by the time Thomas arrives and meets Jesus, the rest have had a week to think about all of this. And they tell Thomas of this great experience that they've had, and he still doesn't believe. But then Jesus presents himself to Thomas. What do you need to believe, he asks. Now we don't know whether Thomas took him up and physically touched his hands, his side, but we do know that spiritually he was convinced. And then Thomas makes what is the most profound statement of all, my Lord and my God. It is an affirmation of Jesus' identity. He is indeed Lord of Thomas and the others. He is Lord of all. And in his glorification, he is God standing before them Remember how he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You have seen the one who sent me. Here, no longer mortal as they are, they see God present in the risen Christ. Now, I want to tell you about a woman I, used, I knew many years ago who made a profound difference in my life. Her name was Grace Herford, and I met her in Canada when my husband was in seminary. Grace was a remarkable woman. She had gone to China in the 1930s as a missionary and stayed until all of the foreign missionaries were thrown out in 1948. She had then returned to London, Ontario, where Bill's seminary was, and she, in her turn, had gone and entered the seminary, completed everything that she needed to, and was not given her degree because women weren't allowed to have theological degrees at that time. So she got a certificate of attendance. She began working in the church, and eventually she met and married the Reverend Mr. Herford. And at that point, the rector's wife was expected to teach in the Sunday school and to run the ECW. Well, ever the rebel, Grace refused to do both of those things and went on serving the poor preaching the gospel, if you will, helping people to find Jesus in their lives. When Mr. Herford was sick and dying, she made the decision not to try to prolong his life. It's a decision that's made every day when people decide to go into or transition loved ones into hospice. And those of you who have been there know that it is not an easy decision but it so often is the best decision for the person involved. But back then, when there was no hospice, it was considered cruel and horrifying. But Grace knew that that was what he wanted and what would be best for him. So I met her shortly after that, and she was about the age that I am now. She was taking care of her younger sister who had rheumatoid arthritis and was confined to a wheelchair. 
I met her in a Bible study class. And from that point on, I understood grace as a gift because grace was a gift to me. Whatever she saw in me, she began to invite me into her life. At the time, I had an infant and a toddler, and she invited us all to tea. She asked me to join a weekly prayer group that met at her house. She came to our house, too, for special occasions, and she always brought butter tarts. She listened to my struggles and my successes, and when Bill graduated seminary, she and her sister gave us the cookbook with the butter tart recipe in it and a refrigerator because the one we had was pretty much dead. And she was pretty sure we would not make it from London, Ontario to Michigan. Now I tell you this story because Grace embodies for me what this gospel is about. She was one of the people Jesus talked about when he said, you have believed because you have seen to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. She is someone who believed because of the witness of the Christian community, because she saw in others what I saw in her. Peace was what God sent her way. Love for all people, and especially for other Christians. A commitment to serve those in need, whether their needs were physical, mental, or spiritual. And staying part of the Christian community with all its faults to show God's love to the world and to help the world choose to see God's infinite love for them at work. Thomas's exclamation, my Lord and my God, is the truth about our being. In Jesus, we have a new way of being connected to God and his gifts of peace, new life, the giving of himself, and most of all, the Holy Spirit, are what make it possible to live that truth. If we believe that in Jesus we have Lord and God, then it will change our lives. And as it changes each one of us, it strengthens our ability to love each other and to spread that love to those around us. It makes us into a living, breathing community of faith that brings God to a broken world. Blessed are those who have not seen, but believe. Amen.